Jeffrey Tarrant is a psychologist and director of Psychic Mind Science and the Neuromeditation Institute. His research focuses on exploring brainwave changes that occur as a result of altered states of consciousness. Jeff is the author of the books Meditation Interventions to Rewire the Brain and Becoming Psychic, Lessons from the Minds of Mediums, Healers and Psychics. Please see the description for relevant links, recommended books and timestamps. So Jeff, to start us off, can you please tell me a little bit about your background and about how you first got involved in researching anomalous phenomena? Sure, yeah. So uh, my professional background is as a psychologist, a, a, mm -hmm. a counseling psychologist, actually. Um, although that's really not what I've ended up devoting most of my career to. I've I've really been using more technology uh, mm -hmm. in my role as a psychologist. So neurofeedback, biofeedback, audiovisual entrainment, you know, neuro stimulation technologies. So the idea of kind of measuring the brain and then using technology to assist the brain into becoming more flexible and adaptive. So that's, that's kind of where my, you know, that's where it becomes relevant in terms of some of this additional work, because with that ability to measure the brain, mm -hmm. it started off to look at concerns related to mental health. But of course, well, if you have the technology to measure the brain, you can look at it anytime. Yeah. And so I've always been interested in altered states of consciousness, let's say. So whether that's meditation or, um, you know, uh, psychedelic type experiences or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and of course, I've got the equipment. Um, you know, how I got into studying anomalous experiences uh, really happened, I'd say happened to me almost. I, I wasn't looking for it. Yeah, and happened anomalously. You know, I happened, <laughs> the, you know, the universe does that sometimes, right? It will, yeah. it will put something in your lap, even if it's not necessarily, you weren't looking for it, you weren't asking for it. Mm -hmm. uh, the short story as I was working at the University of Missouri as a health psychologist, and one of my students at the time was finishing, he was getting ready to graduate and said, hey, let me tell you about my mom. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is probably the last time I'm going to see this guy and proceeds to tell me this long, complicated story about his mom. Her mm -hmm. name's Janet Mayer. And she's a psychic medium, lives in St. Louis, Missouri, which is very near where I was at the time. And she had started channeling uh, shamanic voices right. uh, after a holotropic breathwork experience. So he's telling me this crazy story, right? It sounds crazy, right? And, and after he tells me the entire story, says, hey, do you want to measure her brain? And it was like, yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I have no idea what you just talked about. It was bizarre, but yeah, let's do it. Right. And so literally that's what started this whole thing. And that was about 11 years ago. Cool. Um, and so then from there, um, Janet, it, it's, it's her fault. I'm going to blame Janet. Uh, <laughs> Janet started introducing me to other mediums and then, one thing led to another and it just uh, so as we were discussing before 
before the interview started, you know, uh, you go down one rabbit hole and it leads to another. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially in these kind of areas. Um, and so before you heard the story of Janet from from her son, what were what was your kind of thoughts and feelings and opinions on mediumship and these other kind of anomalous anomalous phenomena, these these different areas? You know, I've I've had sort of a odd journey in my life in regard to my beliefs about these things. Mm-hmm. When I was when I was a little kid, I loved all this stuff. I was, it was all I cared about. I I wasn't interested in sports. I wasn't interested in cars. I wasn't, I was interested in moving stuff with my mind, right? Or, you know, um, or UFOs and aliens and Bigfoot and anything weird was what I was interested in. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of blame my training as a psychologist for sort of beating that out of me. I feel like I was trained how to think Mm -hmm. in a way that essentially said, this isn't real. This is all it's wishful thinking. It's fantasy. Semi delusional, you know, kinds of ways of existing. Mm -hmm. And I bought into that. So for years I, I became sort of more of a hardcore skeptic and I didn't believe any of this stuff. And then once I started exploring for myself through meditation, Qigong, yoga, and started experiencing my own spirituality, mm-hmm. uh, I'll put it that way, yeah, and started experiencing energy differently and understanding that maybe we are more than just a meat sack. Maybe, maybe there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of rekindled that, that old those old feelings and those old beliefs um, from when I was a kid. Yeah. And so, you know, it was like, okay, cool, great. Uh, So how can I understand this, which is kind of where I'm at now? You know, how can I, how can I use my scientific background to really understand how this stuff works? Because I think it's real. Yeah. (laughs) So how can we understand it? Does it still feel surreal to you when you say you think it's real? Does that kind of stuff still kind of, is there a little voice in the back of your head going, wow, I still can't believe we're saying this. Like, I still can't believe that, you know, this is now a part of reality. Like, because <laughs> for me, I have that. I'm still like, wow, I still can't believe, you know, I still kind of have to, wow, like, we don't, I don't even know the, the word I'm looking for, but it feels surreal. I guess that's the best way I can put it. I it feels less and less surreal every yeah. day. The, yeah. the more I, the more I do this and the more I see and the more I experience the less surreal it feels. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I've, I also try to keep a, a, a healthy skepticism. Uh, you know, just because somebody claims to be able to do something, I don't necessarily believe them. Yeah. I, I, you know, I grew up in Missouri, which is the show me state. So, right. uh, you know, it's like, well, show me, you know, like show me the money, right? Like I, I'm not just going to believe you cause you tell me something. Yeah. And so I'm initially sort of skeptical, but then if, if people, you know, can demonstrate what they're talking about, I, I believe it because yeah. I've seen enough <laughs> that it's hard to argue with at some point. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of compelling data, and if you're having yeah your own experiences and and seeing things firsthand, that's that's another level. Um, I have a couple of questions, or a few questions, I should say, from your latest book, Becoming Psychic: Lessons from the Minds of Mediums, Healers, and Psychics, which I'll put the link in the description, and the cover should have just shown on the screen while I was saying the title. So we're gonna we're gonna put that up there. But yeah, I got a couple of questions for that. They, basically, some of your chapters really really grabbed jumped out to me. So the first first thing I want to ask you is kind of for a general overview of some of your like the most interesting findings uh, when studying the brain um, of, of someone who was engaging in either an altered state of consciousness like meditation or in you know anomalous cognition or, or even mediumship or communicate with the other side just a kind of general overview of yeah any of the things that really stood out to you as yeah the things you cherry pick yeah probably my probably my favorite brain part uh, which sounds very strange to say that. It's a, um, doesn't everybody have a favorite brain part? Um, the, the one area that shows up consistently, especially with mediumship and spirit communication, is this area in the, the back right quadrant of the brain. So, mm -hmm. you know, kind of back here. So, Sometimes you'll hear it talked about as the right parietal lobe or uh, the temporoparietal junction. There's several different names that you, you may see looking at the research on this part of the brain. Um, the Can media, you say one or two of the other names just for me? See if I, I want to see if one kind of rings about. Is there something like the chordate or something like that? Is Or am I off base there? Is that a different part? Uh, uh, that's a different part. Um, you're, okay. <laughs> yeah, but... You know, we're, I'm looking a little bit more on the surface because the the technology that I use to examine the brain is EEG. Yeah. And so you're looking at the electrical signals measuring off of the cortex. Mm -hmm. And so EEG is great at looking at functionality because you have all these different brain waves and they all do different things and how they relate to each other and what's happening in one part of the brain versus another part of the brain. It's very dynamic and very complex. And you can get a lot of information about states of consciousness. However, EEG is nowhere near as good as something like an fMRI for localization, for zoning in, especially on deeper brain structures. So the caudate would be a deeper brain structure. So it's a little bit beyond what I can see with my Got technology. You. So you just have to kind of imagine that we're looking more or less on the surface of what's going on. And so, yeah, the, the superior parietal lobule is the okay. uh, sort of the main name that comes up here, but literally it's not just that one spot. It kind of, it's all kind of around here in this general vicinity. And what happens is, when mediums or people who are doing spirit communication, when they're engaged in their work, that part of the brain tends to go offline. Mm -hmm. So instead of becoming more active, it becomes less active. So it, it will in, show an increase of like uh, really slow brain waves like delta or theta, like huge increases. Or sometimes it even looks like a seizure back there, even though the person's having a normal conversation. Really? It doesn't look, they don't, they're not having a seizure clearly, <laughs> Yeah. but, but that part of their brain 
is not behaving normally anymore. That's wild. And it is wild. And <laughs> what's interesting is that part of the brain, I didn't know this at the time. I, I just found this right, right. By, by measuring people and going like, what the heck's going on back here? Because it keeps showing up in the same spot, this weird activity. Mm-hmm. So I started doing a little more homework, like what's going on with this part of the brain? And it's actually a part of the brain that the media years ago started calling the God spot. Right. And this part of the brain, its primary function is creating boundaries. So I'm Jeff. I live here in this little body. I'm separate from Ben. Ben lives over there in your little body and we're totally different people. Mm -hmm. And so that's what that part of the brain does. And it does it very well. So if you take it offline, what it does is it Mm. opens up the ability to extend out beyond yourself. Just to quickly jump in, is that kind of connected then, would you say, to like your sense of identity, your sense of self? Is that kind of like that that kind of quietening in a sense? Yes. And especially sort of the physical aspect of self, you know, the physical boundaries. And so... To me, it makes perfect sense that if you're going to be talking to a spirit, well, you have to extend outside your own body or or at least get that out of the way Mm -hmm. so that you have that capability. Um, And so for me, that's one of the cooler things that that keeps showing up over and over again is, you know, this deactivation of the God spot. And I think it's actually, you know, a really, I think it tells us a lot because rather than saying, oh, we need the brain to do a certain thing to access this, it's almost like, no, we need the brain to get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. So that we can access these things. Yeah, definitely. It is really, that is really interesting. Are there, are there any other kind of normal times when that would kind of do the same thing like you said with a seizure are there any is there anything else that would make it react like that maybe sleep i guess i don't know that's a total guess but i you know i'm not aware of i'm not aware of anything so the research that i was talking about that there was you know there's research out there that exists and you know when they started calling it the god spot it was because of research looking at people with injuries to that part of the brain, traumatic brain injuries. Mm -hmm. And when they looked at people that had injuries to that part of the brain, they found that they were more empathic and more spiritual after the injury. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it kind of makes sense. Right. And so, but I'm not aware of things that we normally do that just shuts that thing down. Yeah. However, what we've been exploring and experimenting with is uh, different styles of meditation. Because if you think about certain forms of meditation that we would call sort of open heart, but might be a loving kindness or a compassion type of a practice, what you're really doing in a lot of those practices is increasing your perspective taking and your empathy. So you're opening yourself to the pain and suffering of others in many cases. And so it makes perfect sense to me that, that that part of the brain could be an aspect of Mm -hmm. 
of that type of a meditation. So that may be a way to exercise that part of the brain is yeah. by engaging in certain meditation practices to sort of help that part of the brain become more flexible and open up more easily. Yeah. But yeah, again, those findings with the, yeah, the thing that they called the God spot, it's, it's just so interesting because it really lines up with, you know, like the idea of using meditation and things like that to quiet our minds, to be able to, yeah, be more intuitive and more connected and everything like this. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the research and findings that you've found, well, the findings that you found from researching mediumship and particularly uh, Laura Lynn Jackson? I'm interested to hear when you were studying her brain. I know you probably get asked that in like every interview. Um, but yeah, Laura was the first medium that I guess I, I kind of legitimized it for me you know like it wasn't like just Laura that convinced me it was the Winbridge studies and everything like that but Laura was the one that really made me kind of do a double take like uh, she seems legit um, yeah 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 Laura is definitely legit she's she's you know easily one of the most impressive mediums that I've I've worked with mm. and again you know just how life is right um I didn't know Laura from anybody. And literally she was the very second medium that I ever uh, measured. Yeah. Um, and so, so I've, I've gotten to know Laura quite well. And so her brain does something really interesting when she is doing a mediumship reading. Well, and a psychic reading for that matter. And so she makes a distinction between the two. She, she does both, yeah. but for her, they feel they feel different and it's a slightly different process. And so one of the things that I think is most interesting uh, about Lara is she has a very clear distinction that when she's doing a psychic reading, she sees information. Oh man, I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, <laughs> I may have to double, I may have to double check myself. When she's doing a psychic reading, she sees- Just say on one side of her- There you go. <laughs> she, she, she sees the information on one side of her visual field. And then when she's doing a mediumship reading, she sees the information on the other side of her visual field. So she yeah. talks about having a, a screen kind of in her mind where she sees this information. Mm -hmm. And so mediumship, it shows up on one side. Psychic, it shows up on the other side. And so what's really interesting about that is- when you look at how the brain processes visual information, it takes information from the right visual field mm -hmm. and processes it in the left occipital lobe in the very back of the brain. Right. So it's this weird crisscrossy thing that happens. The information comes in the eyeballs, crosses over and goes to the opposite side of the occipital lobes in the back of the brain where it's processed. So what this means is because Laura sees the information in two separate visual fields. We should be able to pick that up differently yeah. in the occipital lobes. And in fact, that's exactly what happened when she's doing a mediumship reading. It, it shows up very clearly on one side of the occipital lobe. Wow. And when she's doing a psychic reading, it shows up very clearly on the opposite side of the occipital lobe. Yeah. And so, even though you, we can't say that that is definitive evidence that what she's doing is real, it's it's compelling because yeah. she's not looking at anything different. She's just sitting. When I did this with her, we were sitting in a boring conference room. There was nothing in there. Blank walls. There was nothing in the room. It was just yeah. the two of us. And so 
the fact that her brain was showing these activation and deactivation patterns that matched what she reported is pretty compelling. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, really fascinating. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Laura Lynn or about your work with mediumship and, and studying the brains of, of mediums? Well, I was mentioning that Laura was the second person that I had ever worked with. So Janet was the first. Yeah. Which is crazy and, as well. <laughs> which is crazy. And Janet, so Janet and I went to, after we collected a bunch of data, we decided that we would present what we, what we found just on her mm -hmm. at a forever family foundation conference. So, you know, this was how many ever years ago and they apparently had an annual conference and I was like, sure, I'll do that. And I had no idea what was going on. I, I didn't know this was not my area. I, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, but I was like, sure, I'll go along. It's in San Diego. Why not? And Laura Lynn was there. Uh, actually, there was another, you know, there were several really um, high profile mediums that were there as well. Uh, I met Kim Russo, who's uh, uh, the happy very, medium, I think. The happy medium. Yep. Yep. She's, <laughs> she's amazing. She's great. So there were a lot of other really high profile, really excellent mediums that were there. And I was just kind of stumbling around, do, 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 I'm just kind of doing my thing. And Janet said, you got to meet my friend, Laura, you're going to love her. And I was like, okay, I, I didn't know Laura from anybody. And so what was kind of interesting about this is Laura was great. We hit it off really, you know, like instant friends. And it was a busy weekend. There was lots going on. You can imagine Laura was under constant demand yeah. everybody yeah. wanted something from her everyone trying to introduce her to everyone right. <laughs> and so literally yeah. we did this recording that i was just talking about on the very last night at the end of everything yeah and she was like let's go do this and it was like okay and anyway the the point that i was kind of wanting to get to was she didn't know me either right mm -hmm. so it wasn't like she could have researched me or whatever yeah you know it's one of these things where we were just kind of introduced to each other at this conference said yeah let's do this thing and <clears throat> just the way it turned out laura ended up doing a reading for me because well i'm doing a brain map you have to do a reading on somebody yeah we're gonna do a reading on and it was like well let's keep it clean well sort of it's messy and it's clean it's it's clean in that you're not introducing another person into the the mix it's messy in that, well, the researcher shouldn't also be the subject, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but I couldn't help myself. And and uh, I said, well, do a reading for me. Yeah. And I didn't give her anything. I mean, I, you know, I was doing my poker face, you know, just looking at the EEG. Yeah. You know, and she was just talking, 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 talking. I'm writing notes furiously. Anyway, the one that really got me when she switched to doing a mediumship reading for me, you know, it kind of started off like a lot of mediumship readings. Oh, I'm getting, I think, I think it's your grandpa. Okay. Well, you know, it's a safe bet. One of my grandpas is probably dead. Right. You know, so it's like, okay. All right. Uh, on your mom's side. Okay. All right. I'm got his name. I think it's like a, I don't know, a G or J. Uh, Giuseppe. 
It's like, holy shit. That was my grandpa's name. Really? Uh, She said that like she just came out with that, Josepha. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and it's like, okay, you wouldn't have guessed. You're not just going to guess Giuseppe, right? You know, um, especially given my last name is Tarrant, you know, where (laughs) you're not going to, you're not going to guess that my grandpa's name was Giuseppe. Um, you know, crazy. And then she went on to like describe him perfectly, you know, just all of these details. So that was one of those instances where I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Mm. This is legit. Uh, she's, she's tapping into something. Yeah, for real. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I, obviously I'd love to be read by Laurel and Jackson. She has like, I think she's even closed her waiting list now at this point. Cause it was so long. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was a, a real, a real blessing that you got to have that experience. It's, uh, it's awesome. The thing that I forgot that, that I was going to say to you, I was going to say about the, the God spot that you mentioned uh, and it goes quiet and it goes, you know, st- stops having activity when somebody's engaging in mediumship or whatever. Does it do the same thing when they were doing like uh, some kind of psychic reading or anything like that? Um, not, I'm not going to say never, mm-hmm. but that's not, it's certainly not as consistent. Okay. I mean, I, again, I hate to put a percentage on it because there's a lot of individual variability, yeah. but, yeah, but, but if I had to put a percentage on it, <laughs> I, I would say 80% of the people that I've whether it's a medium or somebody doing some sort of a spirit communication, mm-hmm. you see some sort of anomalous activity in that, that general vicinity mm-hmm. where you don't necessarily see that with a psychic reading. Okay. Um, and by the way, just so that it's clear for your listeners that when I, when I make a distinction between mediumship and spirit communication, what I'm really kind of looking at is, if you're talking to a someone who is deceased and human was a human and died. Mm-hmm. So talking to my grandpa, I would think of that as mediumship where spirit communication, you know, people might be talking to their spirit guides or um, an ascended master or something from the angelic realm or something like the that. The universe. Yeah. The universe. Right. So I, I see those as slightly different things, although it makes sense that the God spot would be involved in both because yeah. of that boundary issue. Yeah, but it does also make sense to differentiate in the sense that, yeah, it, it, is, it feels neater to know when we're talking about, yes, a dis- somebody that was once alive on earth, etc. Um, okay, let's let's change it up. I want to get your thoughts now and hear about your, your findings on, because you did the same kind of thing with anomalous healing, like psychic healing, energy healing, however we want to call it informational healing is bill bankston's preferred term and kind of part b of that would be have you have you been able to analyze the brain of somebody engaging in the bankston method uh, or, or which methods have you kind of investigated i i don't think i'm familiar with the bankston method uh, oh really okay uh, cool. i'll send you some links after if you want it's uh, it's really interesting it's this this guy Bill Bankston, William Bankston. Um, I got in touch with him through Dean Radin and and since then a bunch of other people have kind of spoken highly of him. And yeah, he kind of developed this method to basically like uh, 
what he does, he's cured mice and stuff like that of this this cancer. Um, he's done a bunch of things. He's got papers out there. Um, again, yeah, I'll send you a bunch of links after, and, and okay. you can check him out. And if you do, if you wanted to get in touch with him as well, I'd be more than happy to connect you and see if you can kind of go and put some stuff on his head and, and check out his brain. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. That would be interesting. Um, no, so the the energy healing that I've studied the most is pranic healing. Okay. And that's a whole nother long story of how that ended up happening. But um, so I've got some data from pranic healing and then I've got some data from, I would call it external chi healing. So this was from okay. actually my, one of my primary Qigong teachers, um, Ken Cohen, who he's very well known in Qigong world. And um, so I, I was able to measure his brain while he was doing an external chi healing and um and then somebody doing i don't know what she would define it as but she has training in kind of reconnective healing and um barbara brennan's energy healing methodology mm -hmm. um so i have data from a couple of different genres of energy yeah. healing modes methods yeah genres. yeah and and where I'm kind of getting ready to do some research is with um, biodynamic craniosacral uh, healing. I haven't heard of that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> it's I I like it a lot. Actually, I'm going through the training myself, oh, and cool. um, and so it sets up a nice opportunity. Um, and so, you know, we can talk more about that later. But your question was, what have I found with the yeah. energy healing? Yeah. And what, and what of your findings, like what, what do they make you think? What are your thoughts based upon your findings and, and what, yeah, what are your findings and what are your thoughts on those findings? I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. <clears throat> There's two different ways I want to answer the question. So go for it. <laughs> okay. So, um, one of the things that I found really interesting was with, uh, Ken Cohen and then with, another one of the individuals that I was examining their brain, totally different methods, right? So it's external chi healing versus this person I was talking about that was doing some sort of Brennan reconnective healing kind of thing, right? Totally different systems. They don't know each other. They've never met each other, totally different. And their brains showed almost the exact same pattern right. when they were doing the energy healing. And I thought that yeah. was really interesting. Um, because what it makes me wonder is something I've suspected for a while because I've studied a few different energy healing systems myself. And it's kind of like, well, you know, they all have a lot of overlap. Yeah. There's there's a lot of similarity. You know, they've all got their own little particular things or whatnot. But mm -hmm. by and large, it's kind of the same thing, right? You know, yeah. it's like, and so it makes me wonder if really there is this common denominator mm. in effective energy healing and so it ends up showing up in the brain in similar ways yeah and <clears throat> what i thought was interesting was i also didn't see a um it wasn't like the brain slowed down dramatically which is kind of what you might expect you might expect you know theta or alpha brain waves to increase it's kind of what we expect with a deep state of meditation or kind of being on this deeper level. 
Mm -hmm. But instead, one of the main things that I found was an increase of gamma activity, which is the fastest brainwave that we measure. And, you know, but gamma is interesting because it's almost like being in a flow state, or at least it can be associated with that, of doing something at a high level, but with minimal effort. Mm-hmm. So it, you're just fully engaged in whatever it is. Yeah. And so in that way, it makes sense to me. But so we saw activation in the left prefrontal lobe of the brain, which is interesting because that's a similar pattern to what you see with uh, Tibetan monks when they're doing a compassion meditation. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Richie Davidson's work at the University of Wisconsin measuring the brain of monks. That's what he found when they were doing a compassion meditation was increased gamma. Mm. It wasn't the slow brain wave. It was these fast brain waves. And so that's kind of what we were seeing here. Right. And it kind of makes sense to me, right. That it's like, you're having this, I think of it as a neutral positive attitude that you want to have when you're doing energy healing. Okay. Right. You know, where it's very open-hearted and you've got the person's best wishes uh, you know, in mind, but you're not trying to force anything. You're just yeah. holding that sort of energetic space for the person. The other area that lit up was the occipital lobes in the back of the brain again. So kind of like Laura Lynn. And again, I suspect it's because they are visualizing whatever is going on in the healing process, whether they're seeing the energy or visualizing something happening. So those occipital lobes are kind of getting engaged as well. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. And you you said you're currently studying uh, and that, what was it called? The one you're currently working on? (laughs) Biodynamic craniosacral. Biodynamic craniosacral. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So craniosacral therapy involves you know, it's a hands-on technique and, but it's like very gentle where there's different hand positions where you're, you're putting the body, for instance, it's called craniosacral because you're dealing with the head, the spine, the sacrum, and the energy flow in the body that moves through the craniosacral system, right? So the, Mm -hmm. the brain is pumping cerebral spinal fluid you know, down through the nervous system. And so this is craniosacral therapy in general is involved in kind of facilitating that movement of that fluid for health. But with the biodynamic system, you're not trying to influence anything. It's much more of an energy healing feeling to me because it's almost like you're trying to get into sort of a, a zero point space of sort of unity, you know, connection and sort of allowing the person to heal themselves. And so what I'm interested in looking at is the synchrony between the person on the table and the person conducting the session. Mm -hmm. So whether it's through looking at the heart or the brain, how do our systems become synchronized when we're engaged in some sort of a healing process like this. 
So is this one of your next uh, the next things you're gonna look into next? Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder what the result. Like, when when do you plan to do that? Do you know? Um. The. The system that I want to use to collect the data is almost ready for prime time. I've got a good friend, colleague who is an engineer and, and makes all these kinds of, you know, he works for different EEG companies and heart rate variability companies. And so this has been a side project that we've been working on together because yeah. looking at synchrony between two different individuals, it gets into some complicated math that's way above my pay grade. But, uh, <laughs> Anyway, the point is, is that the system is almost ready for prime time. And as soon as it is, I'm going to start collecting data and seeing what we have because, and not just from myself as a practitioner, but I'm in a nine month training cohort. So I've got all of my yeah. Uh, colleagues yeah. that I can also use as guinea pigs. Subjects everywhere. Yeah. Subjects <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> Uh, this is something I want to start doing in the next couple of months. And then I suspect it'll be several months of data collection. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I look forward to to hearing about that. Um, next thing I want to ask you is again, one of the chapters in your book, they're, they're all so, so catchy uh, or so interesting. Um, the Gansfeld. So I, I've read about the Gansfeld ESP experiments, like notably in, in Dean Radin's book, the conscious universe, which, which blew my mind when I read that. So I'm quite familiar with that side, but I hadn't really heard of it in terms of using it for spirit communication before. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about in your chapter and what you're looking at. So could you elaborate on that and just kind of give a bit of information about it for those that might be not so aware of this? Of course. So yeah, Gansfeld, uh, the Gansfeld technique has been around for a long time, actually. And uh, the word itself means whole field. Gansfeld means whole field. And essentially, the, the old school way of doing the Gansfeld technique is to take a ping pong ball and cut it in half and tape each half of the ping pong ball over an eye and tape it really good so there's no extra light bleeding in. And then you shine a red light on the person. <laughs> and so what it essentially does is allows the person to have their eyes open because there's a ping pong ball over it. But all they can see is this red field. There's, there's yeah. sort of no visual information. It's just red. And then typically people would also listen to white noise or something similar on yeah. headphones. So it's depri sensory deprivation is kind of the idea. Well, interesting. It's it's yes. Uh, yes although, and no. <laughs> yes and no, because it's you're not depriving. Yeah, uh, offering. Yeah, like a different. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's almost like you're overloading the system. I think it's almost like True. the opposite yeah. end of the continuum. Yeah. Instead of depriving sensory information, you're overloading the sensory circuits. You know, but with fairly neutral stuff in a way, right? right? It's like not exactly. stuff to focus on, it's stuff to kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, stuff that doesn't really have any inherent meaning. It's just a red field, it's just white noise. Um, but for some reason, it seems to open up the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and so as you said, there's been a lot of research looking at using the Gansfeld with more psychic type abilities, ESP type things. 
And there's a lot of research on that. And it looks pretty convincing when you look at it. And what I was interested in was looking at it more with spirit communication. And instead of using the ping pong balls, uh, you know, we used something a little more up to date. Uh, yeah. So it was audio visual entrainment glasses, which oh, I do have some sitting here. Oh, nice. But, Go on, put them on, try them on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're basically um, these, they're very attractive. Oh, they are, they're way cooler than just ping pong ball glasses. <laughs> yeah, way yeah. cooler than ping pong ball glasses. They look like 80s, uh, you know. Uh, Giant, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Monster Terminator glasses. Just <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but what these do is they have lights. You can't see them right now because they're off. But okay, there's, right. there's four lights built into the each eye set. Cool. Yeah. And so you can plug this into your computer and there's a, a software program that runs it. And what it's normally used for is to flicker the lights on and off at specific frequencies to drive the brain to certain frequency states. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're wanting to try to increase theta for some reason for creativity or maybe for a meditation, well, you could choose a theta frequency so the lights would flicker on and off between four and eight times a second. And then the brain starts to follow that frequency. So the brain will entrain to that frequency band. Now, that's not what we were doing with the Gansfeld, right? Because it's a whole field. It's not flickering on and off. But there's a Gansfeld setting on here. Oh, cool. So you can just set it on Gansfeld and it will just hold the color. Yeah. And you can choose. There's a bunch of colors you can choose from. And so you just choose red, choose red, put it on Gansfeld, done. You don't have yeah. to do all the other crazy stuff. Anyway, so what we did was brought in several different people into the office who had at least some experience with psychic work or spirit communication. One of them is a professional, meaning they do that for a living. Yeah. Uh, the other ones weren't, you know, they, they do, they've got other day jobs and they just explore these things. Mm -hmm. And so we would, we would measure their brainwave activity and have them do a Gansfeld session and just verbally report whatever they were getting. Just talk about whatever's happening, you know, in your session. And of course we were monitoring the brain the whole time. And what I thought was really cool was for the vast majority of people that we did this with, they reported that it felt like the Gansfeld was sort of like a jumpstart into their process. Like it just exacerbated things. It made things go quicker. Mm -hmm. It was easier to, to kind of tap in yeah. than normally. Um, and you know, in fact, they all kind of said that independently, right? That it was kind yeah, of like, kind it was of like, as a catalyst for all of them. Yeah, exactly. And, and what's interesting is um, when you looked at their brains, so if you looked at it beforehand, just baseline, nothing was happening. They weren't doing a reading. They were just sitting there doing nothing, looking at their brain, then looked at it during the Gansfeld. What it tended to do was exaggerate their natural brain pattern. 
So whatever their brain pattern was at the beginning, it just made it louder. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what was really interesting about that was because these were all people that already had some natural ability, we already saw that, for instance, the God spot looked a little different. Yeah. And even at baseline. And then, okay. and, then, and then you put the Gansfeld on and all of a sudden that thing just lights up, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the God spot lights up as, as well as other areas. So um, my, my conclusion at the moment is that it, it's a really effective strategy for people that already have some ability to tap in mm-hmm. for people that have no ability. Well, and, and I, I don't even like saying that because I think everybody has the potential, yeah. but, but I think for a lot of us, maybe we're not in touch with it. We're not in touch with it. We, yeah, we've kind of forgotten, you know, how to do yeah. that. So for people that have forgotten, let's put it that way. Um, you know, using the technology doesn't all of a sudden make everybody psychic and make them, you know, might work for one or two, but yeah, <laughs> it, it might. Not, and, and it has done that, right. Where there's some people where it's like, Holy crap. It just unlocked something. Um, yeah. But what it seems like is that it works best with people that already sort of know how to navigate that a little bit. They already have some skill in mm-hmm. terms of connecting to the other side or whatever. Yeah. And then this just launches it. Yeah. Um, so we've obviously got a lot more to study, but um, but so far I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's fascinating stuff all over the place here. Um, another chapter, which again, full of stuff I'm fascinated about. Um, I, I It's about telepathy and autistic savants. So yeah, this book is uh, is really interesting. Could you please could you please talk about it and and give your thoughts on savant syndrome and and what it tells us about consciousness? I think savant syndrome is a really yeah fascinating phenomenon. I had uh, Doctor Doctor Diane Hennessy on my my show as well to talk about that, and it was really great hearing her perspective. I think she's got a documentary coming out. I don't know when, um, but yeah, tell me tell me about what what you think about this phenomenon and and what your findings were in this area. Yeah, well, and. You know, uh, the work that I've done in that area was connected with Dr. Powell. Um, mm, and so cool. um, she actually just lives a few hours down the road from me. Uh, nice. And um, and so and it actually relates to that same documentary you were just talking about. So uh, essentially, I was invited to participate in the documentary looking at these autistic individuals and their reported telepathic abilities yeah usually with their primary caregiver usually the mom um but sometimes it extends beyond that and this is stuff that diane's been looking at for years and you know Mm -hmm. you talk to her she's been doing this for a long time and it's another one of those areas where i was invited because i can measure the brain and i'm like sure Am, am i an expert on autism no Am I an expert on savant syndrome? No, I, I I barely know enough to be dangerous in those <laughs> regards. But my job was to come and look at the brain. And I'm like, yeah. okay, sure. And so at this point, um, you know, because we're still sort of in development of the documentary. Right. So it was more sort of pilot kinds of things, you know, so we went out and, had uh three different 
individuals that we worked with that Diane had been working with before and, and knew them. And so we went down and collected data. And the first thing I'll say is that this experience for me was completely mind-blowing. I've seen a lot of cool things. It's cool, right? When Laura Lynn pulls out your grandpa's name, you know, and it's like, holy smokes, and gets all these facts about him and about your kids. And that's really cool. And this was beyond that because uh, what I saw with these was were these nonverbal autistic kids getting 100% accurate information telepathically from their from their mothers in all the in wow. instances that I saw 100% right and just one after another do it again do it again do it yeah. again do it again do it again uh, I mean I've seen some cool stuff but <laughs> this blew it all away. You know, we, yeah. we had, we'd put a blindfold on the autistic kid and put a big, you know, uh, black board in between them and, and their parent and, you know, and then show the mom, you know, like a, a random number or something and show it to him and then close the iPod real quick so that, you know, and then remove all the stuff and, yeah. The kids just like get it every time. Wow. Uh, nuts. I mean, you know, the first <laughs> time I saw this, literally my jaw hit the floor. I I don't know what I was expecting. Yeah. But it was not this. Uh, and so, you know, for me, now I appreciate Diane's perspective because, you know, she's like, she's like, well, we need more controlled environment and we need to study this further. And, you know, mm -hmm. And I totally appreciate that, you know, from a scientific perspective, that's exactly the approach that you want. You know, if you're trying to prove that these things are real, it's got to be airtight. Yeah. Um, and sitting there watching it, I'm going, there's no way this is fake. <laughs> it's impossible, right? Like this is like, I was convinced immediately. I'm like, you don't need to... I don't need all the controls and whatever it's uh, yeah. this is real. And so if I ever had any doubts before they were pretty much wiped away uh, when I saw this. And so, you know, I mean, again, you see enough weird things and what's funny yeah. about it is how quickly you acclimate to it. The first time I saw it, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor the second time I saw it, I was kind of like, eh, okay, all right. You know. Yeah. yeah it's like more really? of these psychic kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh yeah, okay. Another kid that's getting a hundred percent right on the okay, whatever. Uh yeah. you know, how could that not blow your mind? And you know, and so then looking at the EEG data, which I think was your original question, um it was tricky because so think about it, right? That most folks on the autism spectrum have some sensitivity. Mm. And kids, kids anyway, as well. Uh, I mean, actually, um, uh, a couple of them were adults. Uh, okay, cool. But, um, you know, so they weren't young, young. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, you have to wear a tight cap on your head and you have to squirt gel into... Mm. 
20 different electrode sites and you have to wiggle it around on the scalp and you have to put ear clips on and you have to sit perfectly still because, uh, um, yeah. you know, any type of movement creates a false signal yeah. uh, that can be interpreted. So trying to get good data was a huge challenge. I mean, they did great. They did great, but it was, it was a challenge. Yeah. Um, so when I analyzed the data as best I could, it was interesting because there were some things that showed up, but it was not the same for all three of the people that I examined. Um, so for one of them, they showed a huge increase of gamma activity in the right frontal lobe um, during the telepathy tasks. Mm -hmm. And and so my interpretation of that, so it's like, well, okay, gamma, fast brainwave, usually means activation, among other things. The right frontal lobe has to do with attention. And so my interpretation is that this particular individual their normal way of paying attention is probably not super focused. It's very broad. And so in order to pull something out of your mom's brain requires, you know, this like pulling in of your attentional capacity in a very specific way, uh, almost like a concentration meditation, uh, you know, but like really zoning in and to pull out that one piece of information and so I, I suspect that that's why we see that, that big change for them. For one of the other individuals we saw, I didn't see that, but I saw big changes between the left and the right hemisphere. Yeah. Um, and, you know, usually in theta. So increased theta activity, uh, and changes in coherence. So how areas of the brain are talking to each other. Right. Um, so there's definitely some changes, but they weren't consistent with each other. Mm. Actually, let me real quick, I'll mention the, the third person because I didn't get any significant differences between baseline and when they were doing the telepathy task. And I was like, really? yeah. And at first I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And then I was like, holy crap. I think they're just always. Yeah. Receptive to it. They're like just that. always tapped in. They don't have to do anything different. Like the brain yeah. isn't, there's nothing to change. Wow. Uh, and it was like, oh, wow. All right. That's mm. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it actually matched what we saw because with that particular individual, we were doing random numbers again. And Dr. Powell would write down four digits, show it to the mom, take it away. And the person would then point to the numbers on a letter board or a number board. And cause they're nonverbal and literally they would start pointing to numbers. I mean, we almost hadn't even shown the, the mom yet. And they were pointing out the numbers. Like it was like they had instant access. It wasn't, wow. it wasn't like they had to go get anything. It was just, yeah. it was just automatic. Yeah, it's not like they have to sit and meditate and like, give me, give me five minutes to focus. And like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just instant. Wow. 
That's that's amazing. And the fact that they were so successful is incredible. And and the, yeah, you said that one of them there, it didn't really change. It, like the kind of the baseline was the same as when. And that's really, really interesting because I guess it goes hand in hand with the idea that everybody kind of has these latent abilities for want of a better word but it's just everybody's kind of had it's same with creativity and, and maths everybody has different levels like there's some people out there you could say you know what's the square root of 2694 and they're going to tell you bang like this kid with the, the the telepathy and some people are gonna you know say give me half an hour i need to go find a calculator and a pen and paper um so yeah wow really really interesting with 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 all of the ones that you were doing that with were they did they all have savant syndrome or was it autism uh, was it kind of did some of them have savant syndrome or um the ones that were that i'm talking about right now i don't think any of them actually had uh, a particular savant ability okay. outside of this now i know one of the things that dr powell is interested in is you know looking at these kids and, and arguing that if in fact this can be proven that this should be considered a savant ability Right. Yeah. Uh, and so from that perspective, this is their savant ability, mm. uh, you know, because there's plenty of kids with autism that don't seem to have that ability. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I think it makes sense to like, yeah, if, if they can show this ability and they seem to have it, then it is it is kind of like a, a savant thing. Right. And in, in the sense that they have such a gift with it. It's so like impressive compared to the average person because but some of the things that that's these savants can do are incredible how, do you have any kind of thoughts personal thoughts on how that works like where they access that information from how that again i know it's just kind of speculation but i mean <laughs> here's what i'll say is um more and more i'm i'm sort of convinced that I don't know if you want to call it sort of, you know, like the Akasha or whatever you want to call it, but that there is a field of information that exists out there that contains everything. Yeah. And, and so everything is available. So the, the trick is just learning, learning or unlearning, being able to connect with whatever the specific information is that you want, whether it's talking to a spirit or whether it's, pulling out some sort of a square root crazy number or playing a musical instrument or mm -hmm. telepathy, right? That yeah. all of the information is out there. And so how do we tap into it? And again, I feel like, and actually Dr. Powell talks about this. This is one of her ideas is that language is actually part of what gets in the way. And yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And all of these kids that we studied are nonverbal. And, you know, as mm -hmm. soon as you start to use language, you have limited something. As soon as you put a word on it, you've limited it. You've constrained it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it reminds me of a lot of the, you know, the world religions. You know, when you look at the, the primary world religions, most of them say, yeah, you can't really know God. You can't talk about God. As soon as you yeah. as soon as you talk about God, you've screwed it up because it, it's too big. Like as soon as you put a word on it, you've screwed it up. You've limited it. Mm. And I feel like language does that with everything. As soon as you put a word on it, you've constrained what it is and what it's capable of. 
So yeah. if you don't have that ability to put language on things, well, gosh, all of a sudden now there's a much wider range of possibility of, of what it is. And you can connect maybe to its true essence rather than some sort of analysis or, you know, we got to get the brain in the way of trying to interpret something, you know, and in fact, if you think about a lot of mediums that I've, that I've interviewed, they will talk about the challenge of sorting through what's their own mind versus what's the information coming in. Yeah. And, and it, it's a, it's a tricky one because sometimes the mind will get involved and want to interpret or want to add something on that's not yeah. what's coming through, you know? And so it's like, how do you shut that off long enough to connect to the accurate core of the information? Fascinating stuff. Do you, do you know when the docu-series or, or, you know, whatever, if it's one document, I think it's a docu-series you said, do you know when that's due to come out? Or not sure yet. Not sure yet. Still working on details, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm we'll not stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not involved <laughs> in uh, you know I'm I'm a side player in the whole thing. Yeah. So, um, no, it's no worries. Diane didn't know when I spoke to her, so I was just seeing if there was yeah if you knew if that date had been confirmed since then. But no, no worries. Um, so another chapter. We're basically going through the whole book. Another <laughs> chapter that, that I couldn't leave alone, and um, partly because one of my patrons, Jimmy the Earthling, is really fascinated by this topic. Me too. I, I think it was Jimmy that actually kind of brought it to my attention in the first place when I was interviewing Raymond Moody. So maybe you see where I'm going now with this. So he's really interested in mirror gazing, um, and then I yeah I saw you had a chapter in your book about it called Psychomantium. So yeah, I wanted to ask you if you can elaborate on it, talk more about it both your experiences and, and any research that you've done into it. I'm particularly keen to hear about your experiences with this one, your personal experiences. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is another one of those, you know, as we're discussing this, it makes it sound like I'm just bumbling through life somehow. And I'm, cause I'm like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And somehow not can... for me, cause, I, cause I've looked into this stuff as well, but yeah, for people that maybe don't know half of this stuff. Yeah. It could sound a bit like hey, wow, he's into all of this stuff. Wow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, somehow I just ended up in a psychomantium one day and, uh, <laughs> You know, um, which probably half the people listening have no idea what like mirror gazing psychomantium. So I guess that's where you can start. Okay. With, like, what is a psychomantium? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and just uh, as a as a little bit of a backdrop, I was doing some research yeah. with mediums uh, through the Forever Family Foundation, which is an organization that certifies mediums. And mm. so I really appreciate being able to work with them because they're mediums who have already proven themselves. I don't have to. I don't have to do any kind of research to say, oh, yeah. you're, you're the real deal or not. They've already done that. And so mm -hmm. I can just get down to business of looking at their brains. Anyway, I was in New York testing a bunch of mediums and I was at the house of Bob Ginsburg, who's uh, one of the main people, uh, one of the founders of the Forever Family Foundation. And over the course of the weekend, he said, oh yeah, we have a psychomantium downstairs if you want to check it out. And I was like, the hell's a psychomantium, right? I, I don't know what a psychomantium was. And so he went on to explain that, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small closed chamber yeah. that's entirely in black. The floor is black. The walls are black. There's no light in there. There's a reclining chair in there that's black. 
a footrest, black. So everything's black. And then there's a mirror hanging on the opposite wall of where the chair is up in the top corner, angled slightly so that when you're sitting in the chair and looking up at the mirror, you don't see yourself. You can't see yourself. Um, you're just looking at the mirror and whatever it reflects, but you're in a black room. There's nothing to look at. Yeah. And, th and then you put a very, 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 very tiny light in the room, a little night light of some kind. So there's just a little bit of light. And so the idea uh, is, well, you go sit in this room and you stare at the mirror and see what happens. Now, it's actually more involved than that. The original research was for people to contact departed loved ones. And so yeah. they would often spend a lot of time with a counselor beforehand, talking about their loved one, bringing in objects related to their loved one, thinking about them. So you're actively activating these memories and then would go sit in the psychomantium with the idea of connecting with them and see what would happen yeah. and not surprise. So this is definitely sensory deprivation. So a little different than what we talked about before. This is, <laughs> you can't, you know, besides being in a float tank, you can't get a whole lot more sensory deprivation than this. And so of course, not surprisingly from the research about 50% of people, when they do this, something weird happens. Uh, they either, see people or other things, balls of light. They hear voices. Uh, they might feel the presence of somebody. They All kinds of interesting things can happen and it's pretty common. And so obviously I'm out at this thing. Bob tells me he's got a psychomantium. I'm like, I wanna do it. And he's like, go for yeah. it. So I took my equipment downstairs, hooked up my brain, and got a baseline, stepped inside, let the thing run, but I kept my computer outside of the cabinet so that I didn't um, have extra light or anything like that. And uh, it was intense. Uh, so I was in there about 45 minutes, which is wow. a pretty typical session. And, you know, there were several weird things that happened. And, and I'm not particularly prone to, I wish I was, I wish, I yeah. wish like, I wish I was one of those people where ghosts move stuff all the time. And, you know, yeah. it's just not what happens for me um, yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And anyway, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And one of the first things was just this feeling. I don't know how to describe it, except. It's a feeling, and, and and probably many of the people listening have experienced this where, you know, like maybe like you're doing a Ouija board or something, and you kind of feel like, ooh, I'm dancing on the edge of something weird here that I, it's a little uncomfortable. I don't know where I'm stepping into, <laughs> and right. it feels weird. Uh I'm not describing it well, but it's it's a it's a distinct feeling for me uh, of when yeah. I get into one real of those. uneasy like that that kind of yeah almost creepy. Right. Uh, I mean, creepy sounds negative, but but it's 
it's that feeling like it's a little scary, right? Like, uh, okay. And then, um, yeah, I ended up having uh, kind of an image and a thing related to my great grandpa and um, that you saw in the mirror or that you saw like in your mind or how did that work? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's maybe hard to say, I guess. It is kind of hard to say. I mean, cause you know, when you're in that weird space, your eyes are open, Yeah. but there's nothing to see. Right. So it's, I don't know how I would describe it exactly, but um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, like, was that in my mind or was it out here? I'm not sure exactly. Um, You know, and I also heard a voice and which was really interesting. And it was a woman's voice, which was also for me important because typically if I hear things, I hear it in my own voice. Mm-hmm. If I hear if I hear a voice talking to me or say something, it's my voice. And this wasn't my voice. This was a woman's voice, which I was like, oh, that's different. That doesn't happen ever. Uh, <laughs> and I don't remember the exact language. I'd have to look at my notes, but it, it basically said something like, you know, even though I'm no longer here with you, doesn't mean I've stopped loving you. Really? It was like... Oh, whoa. Okay. That's heavy. Yeah. You know, yeah. that makes me tear up a little bit, even just now, just, uh, just saying it, you know, but, um, and so, yeah, I mean, the whole experience was really intense and it was like, you know, you get out of there and you're disoriented. You know, <laughs> you know It's like need to be, get grounded and yeah. You know, yeah, I can imagine your spit like all over the place. Like you'd be weird even just coming out of a dark room with, you know, like no, nobody that you've been talking to hardly any light, no sounds that would be disorientating. But then with the added kind of parapsychological elements here, like, wow. Yeah. 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 It was intense. And, you know, I was like, okay, all right. There's, and it was interesting because I didn't go in doing all the things that the researchers had done. Like I didn't spend a bunch of time thinking about a particular person or I was just like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. And I just jumped mm-hmm. in. Um, wow. The other thing that, you know, you probably find interesting when I looked at my brainwave data later, it actually looked a lot like what the brain looks like during a psychedelic session. Um. So, you know, my alpha decreased mm-hmm. dramatically in the in the default mode network, which we can get into detail about that or not, but essentially, <laughs> you know, it's a it's the most common pattern you see with psychedelics where the default mode network that kind of holds everything together <laughs> in terms of how you think about yourself, you know, who you are kind of disintegrates uh, for a time being. So there's this much more openness to other experiences related to who you are and how you think of yourself. And so that's exactly what my brain looked like when I was in the psychomantium. I was like, hmm, interesting. Uh, So, you know, yeah, I'm, we've started, uh, we actually just finished a research study uh, I did a research study with Marilyn Schlitz. You probably know Marilyn. Um, I haven't spoken to her, but I know I know of her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where she created a 
virtual reality psychomantium experience. Oh, wow. Cool. And so obviously it's not going to look exactly the same because like, well, what you put the goggles on and there's nothing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's a little bit different, but we collected a bunch of data with people on this and uh, the number of people that had anomalous experiences during this virtual reality experience was very high. And, um, and at least the data we collected at here at the neuro meditation Institute, um, we had, I think it was a hundred percent of people that did it ended up in tears. Um, and, and, and not in a negative way, you know, but because they, connected with somebody that they wanted to connect with, or they had some sort of realization or something. And so I think there's actually a lot of potential therapeutic potential with Mm. the psychomantium or similar tools, you know, for, for grief. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. So have you just tried it once for now? That's, that was your, your experience in a psychomantic. That was it back and (laughs) that was it for now, for now. Um, Although it's, it's it's funny. I I sent my mom a copy of the advanced, the advanced copy of the book. Right. And she just texted me yesterday. She must've just read that chapter. And she said, (laughs) um, and she said, are you going to build a psychomantium in your, in your garage? You know and I'm like? Does she want to try? Is that why she's asking? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's she cool, went, so she's actually one of those people where ghosts and things do show up all the time. So you know, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure she would want to go into psychomantium. You know? It's, yeah, yeah. She might see a lot of things in there. So just to go back to your your foray into the psychomantium. So the image you saw. What what was the image of? If you, if you don't mind, kind of uh, going into a little bit more detail. <clears throat> I mean. Actually, the image, well, I mean, I saw a couple of weird things, you know, like I, like I saw like a horse's head. Oh, wow. I have no idea what that had anything to do with. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I saw like a ball of light and I saw some things like this, right? That, but when I talk about my grandpa, <clears throat> excuse me. No worries. My great grandpa. <clears throat> um, it actually... It's so hard to describe some of these things sometimes uh, uh, to do it justice, but it wasn't like I saw him clearly. It was more, gosh. So maybe it was almost more like a felt presence mm-hmm. and like, I knew it was him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's possible that it had some connection to the horse thing because he's shown up in some other things I've done before. Um, and at one point in his life, he worked with, uh, he worked with horses. He worked with these, uh, Clydesdales, which is a certain kind of horse that, uh, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, I don't know why uh, horses have no meaning in my life. You know, I don't do anything with horses. I'm not an animal person. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was connected with him somehow. But this feeling of him was really what I had. It was like, it was like an instantaneous, like, oh, that's Grandpa Berg. Like, you know, and I wasn't looking for him, which those are the kind of experiences I really value is when you're not Mm. looking for something and it shows up. Uh, Because then it's like, well, 
I mean, yeah, you don't have the same like questioning of like, is it was it just me confirm? You know, is it just my brain like, tell, like telling me what I needed to hear or right. all that kind of stuff? Yeah, and and the voice. Um, did you ever manage to get anywhere with trying to figure out like who that was, or, or you know, like, uh, or I don't know, did you ever go down that road of trying to figure that out or not? I didn't. No, and you know, partly. Um, I mean, this was a while ago. Um, mm. So maybe I'll attribute part of it to that, having less skill. Um, but one of the things that I've been trying to develop for myself with some of these practices is being more of an active participant. I think that's where I have struggled with certain practices and certain of these skills is that mm -hmm. I'm too passive. I'm just letting things kind of happen and then observing and going like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, and I've been told over and over again by mediums and psychics, it's like, ask questions, like go engage, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah okay. That, that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, instead of just sort of allowing things to happen to me. And so I, I think it was more like that. I was just an observer and was just allowing things to kind of happen, but wasn't really actively engaging with it which is i think an important element to some of this work and so yeah. something i'm developing yeah yeah cool well, I, I look forward to hearing more about your your journeys into these things um the last chapter of becoming psychic not the last chapter but the last chapter i'm going to ask you specifically about uh from becoming psychic before we move on to talk about some different things um psychokinesis you, you had a chapter called psychokinesis obviously i'm fascinated by this um i've spoken to a few people about this kind of thing including spoon bending of course um so again i want to hear a little bit about your research but especially i want to hear about your experiences because I, I from kind of glancing through the chapter this morning when i finally the book arrived um just in time i started to see that you kind of yeah you were trying it yourself and giving it a go and so yeah how, how did that go did you did you have any success <laughs> not not that you have to give spoilers for the book but yeah like how, how did you get on with the yeah the psychokinesis yeah um actually once i kind of got the hang of it um uh i've i've done pretty well in fact mm -hmm. you know one of the not to go too sideways here but one of the the things that I've observed and that makes sense to me is that of all of the different kind of psi related abilities, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of different things. Yeah. And it seems like different people have different inclinations just naturally. It's just easier to do certain things. And yeah. for me, that seems to be more like the energy healing and the psychokinesis kind of stuff. Those are things that are just, they just make more sense to me. They're just easier. I can do some of the other stuff, but it takes a lot of work and and patience and and training. Um, now, when I first started with the psychokinesis, I wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> in fact, and I think I talk about this in the book, but when I first, you know, started practicing, I must have saw a YouTube video or something where somebody was moving a ping pong ball, and I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. A ping pong ball, it rolls. You know, it's there's not a lot of Oh, it's light friction yeah. it's light uh great and so you know i messed with that ping pong ball for weeks <laughs> and it didn't move a millimeter you know and yeah. and 
you know, I'm a tenacious individual. So I, you know, I just kept at it. And finally I was like, okay, this, you know, and, you know, other practitioners were using a piece of tinfoil, you know, mm -hmm. either shaped into like a little pinwheel or just kind of folded in half set on some sort of a stand so that it would rotate and move easily. So I switched to that. And when I switched to that, it was almost instantaneous. It was, really? um, I was like, oh, this is way easier. Um, now, what's interesting, and this is actually one of the things I really enjoy about all of this work, is starting to understand the nuances of of all of these things and how subtle it all is. Yeah. And, you know, and with psychokinesis and moving a, a little tinfoil thing, it's like, well, you know, could that have been a, a wind gust moving through the room, you know, or did I accidentally breathe on it? Or did <laughs> yeah. I move too fast? Or is it heat from my hands influencing it, right? And so it's interesting because you become really sensitive to all of the little factors that could be influencing the tinfoil besides your mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what I kind of figured out over time was you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference if it's an external influence versus your mind moving it. It moves differently. It behaves differently. It feels differently. Um, but of course, you know, once you get it to move and you start getting pretty good at it, the next step is to make it more challenging, yeah. uh, which for me meant putting some sort of a container over the uh, the pinwheel, which reduces most of those variables. Right? Yeah. It's like it's like well, you know, the wind in the room isn't going to mess with it, and the heat from my hands isn't going to make any difference. Um, and what's interesting is I was able to get it to move under a cover, not very consistently, uh, right. but I have been able to, to get it to move. And what I think is really fun about this is it's psychological hmm. because it shouldn't make any difference if it's under a thing or not. Like <laughs> it's my mind moving this, right? Like it, it shouldn't make any difference. But psychologically, when you look at something and there's a barrier over it, literally there's a barrier over it, all of a sudden, psychologically, it feels way more difficult or yeah. impossible. Um, yeah. And so it's like somehow you have to learn to let that sort of limiting belief go or get beyond that or learn to connect with that piece of aluminum foil, even though there's a piece of plastic or glass in between you and it and so you know for me that's kind of the fun of all of this is like ooh, how do i work with my own mental states and my own limiting beliefs and my own psychology in order to you know be able to access some of these abilities yeah yeah that's that's fascinating so the foil on the thing like can you kind of describe like the setup for for anybody that might want to try the same thing at home sure yeah um so you know it's really just a small piece of aluminum foil so maybe two and a half inches by four inches something like that 
So that's kind of a rectangle shape. This is the easiest way to do it. And then yeah. fold the aluminum foil lengthwise. So it's kind of a long tent shape. Okay. Um, and then you kind of open it up a little bit, right? So that there's some, there's some uh, uh, room. It's not like a, just a, a flat piece of yeah. aluminum foil. It's kind of opened up a little bit. So you've got your aluminum foil, then you need a base. And what I use for the base, which I like a lot, is one of those old school, like pink erasers. I don't know if you remember those, okay. like in school, you have the, like just a, a solid chunk of eraser, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, so like one of those, and then like stick a nail through it. Okay. So then it's a nice solid base. And then you just put that piece of, of aluminum foil very gently, balance it on that nail. You know, so you get it centered and you get it all just set up just right <clears throat> so that it's perfectly balanced as much as possible. And and then that's it. That's all you need for the setup. So just just to clarify, so which way have we got it balanced? We got it like on its side with like the other bit of the foil kind of coming up. I, I'm doing horrible like hand gestures, but yeah. So we got the tent thing and it's like on the ground, but then to put it up on the nail, are we putting it on its side or how are we doing that? Um, or, or are we just kind of balancing it over the top of the nail? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, got you like that. Yeah, right. yeah. So, so yeah, I'm gonna use a sticky note because I don't have a piece of aluminum foil with me. But mm -hmm. so if we did like this, yeah, and then opened it, yeah, and then, and then so then set it. Okay, okay, right, yeah. got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, nice okay so you get it on there and then yeah you you but that's basically it you, you cover it up if you want if if you don't want to do that at the start you don't have to do that but yeah. then it's kind of all it's convincing yourself then that's the only person you're only cheating yourself if you uh you know if you're not sure so yeah right wow and, and yeah i would say at the beginning don't cover it because it, it is psychologically way more difficult and you know Again, I don't think it makes a difference technically, but psychologically mm -hmm. it helps to kind of put your hands kind of around it, you know? And I yeah. say I say it it doesn't make a difference technically because I don't think it's energy from your hands that's moving it. I don't think that's what it is. But mm -hmm. somehow it feels like you have more control, right? Like yeah. so we have to do these weird psychological little games to convince ourselves that we're doing something. Um, but this is also one of the tricks with psychokinesis that, that I'm, I'm still working out is less is more. Uh, if you try too hard, it doesn't work. If you, mm -hmm. if you effort it, like move, you will move to the left. It's not going to do anything. It, it's almost like you have to have the, the most gentle attention possible but still pay attention. You can't just completely space out, mm -hmm. but you can't focus too hard. There's this yeah. really narrow space of attention that it just starts moving. It just starts. And with that gentle attention, what are we, are we like trying to, are we trying to say like gently like move please? Or are we just like not trying to think about that at all? Or are we just kind of just sending a general, like I'm kind of connecting with you and you know, just that's about it. Yeah. In one of Dean Radin's books, he um, talks about a research study where they were asking people what kinds of strategies they were using for a, a psychokinesis task. I think it was a micro PK test, but same idea. 
And it's interesting because yeah. people were using a variety of things. Sometimes they would use that talking to it. Um, one of the people that I that I studied, uh, Caroline Corey, you probably have, have are familiar with her work. Um, and so I, I measured her brain doing a PK exercise. And mm -hmm. she was, you know, she was talking to, not out loud, but she was talking to the, the piece of aluminum foil, you know, like, you know, having a nice conversation with it, trying to, you know, connect with it and get it to move. So some people will do that or they'll ask for help for their spirit guides or they'll, you know, uh, do sort of a concentration practice where there's nothing else in their mind. For yeah. me, for me, what I've found is that a lot of that ends up creating too much efforting uh, for, for me to be effective. So I almost have to, for me, it's almost like a meditation. Mm -hmm. It's like, I care, but I don't care. It's like, I'm inviting you to move, but if you don't want to, it's okay. It's this very, I don't know what to describe gentle. it. It's, yeah, it's very gentle, and, very gentle. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't always work. Even some of the people that I've talked to who are very good at this, and you know they practice this all the time, you know, they'll even say sometimes they sit down to practice and nothing happens. And, you know, it's just yeah. one of those fickle things. As with all of these things. Yeah. They just say we can't quite, we never pin them down at all. Yeah. Um, have, have you ever tried uh, bending a spoon? I, yes. Um, yeah. You must have. Of course you tried. Did you succeed? <laughs> I, I did, but um, I just want to clarify because. Mm -hmm. you know spoon bending right like there's kind of the uh you know uri geller spoon bending right you know where you know it's kind of like barely touching it and uh you know rubbing it gently and the thing melts uh, yeah. and then there's you know kind of the spoon bending that most of us participate in which is much more active uh yeah and and that's what I've done. And, and what I mean by that is, and I think you talked to, you talked to Lloyd about this, right? Yeah. 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 I did like, a, I've, I've spoken to Lloyd twice and one of them, the second one was kind of dedicated to, yeah, like how to, to bend spoons and stuff like that, how to yeah. do a spoon bending party and all of yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I don't know, you know, what exact approach he uses, but every time I've done it and the way I've been instructed is you know, you take your spoon and you're kind of holding it and you're feeling the tension. So you can feel, you know, how much tension is involved and how much effort it, mm -hmm. it would take to really bend it with force. Yeah. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to use it with force. And so you're kind of hanging out with it and whatever, and you might psych yourself up or, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's the thing where people are like, command it, bend, bend, bend. And then you, you know, um, but what is weird about this, and I, w I won't say it's happened every time I've done it, but most of the time you sit with it and all of a sudden it just, it just gives. So you're, you are using pressure, but all of a sudden it just, it's like the metal relaxes and it's yeah. easy to just go whoop and then it stops again. Yeah. And then it's like, what the hell just happened? And, but then if you keep working with it, you can get it again and yeah you can re rebend it unbend it and all that kind of thing yeah yeah 
So, you know, it's, it's very, it's very weird, but again, it's one of those psychological things. Cause it's like, it's easy for you to go like, well, did I really do that? Or, or did I, was I using force? And yeah. it's like, well, you're using a little bit of force, but there is something different. It feels different when all yeah. of a sudden it just gives. Sounds like you've done it before yeah. too. I haven't actually, I've just spoken to quite a few people that have and, and from the, the in-depth conversation with Lloyd, I think I got a pretty good like idea of it. And, but no, unfortunately I haven't not yet. I've tried and I've got the perfect spoons cause they're really hard to bend even like with force. So I, the only way I could do it with force, I'd have to put in quite, you know, some significant force and I'd probably have a mark on my hand. So I think that they're, <laughs> they're the perfect spoon to like fact check myself afterwards. The day I, the day I do it, I'll, I'll not be quiet about it. I'll make sure people know. <laughs> Um, but no, not yet, unfortunately. Um, but I've heard, yeah, the thing that you said about it kind of suddenly just kind of just going is consistent with something. I, yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people. Lloyd says the same thing and things like, yeah, that, you know, you can be, you can be trying for ages and get nothing. And then maybe you, you turn around and somebody else says, oh, I did it. And you look at them and then you look back at your own, like, oh, oh, crap, and yeah and and apparently obviously it can some people can seemingly do it like you say with very little touch and everything like that and it varies and what was the what were the circumstances when you bent and how many times have you done it were you in like a you know a a, a group were you in like a spoon bending party or have you ever done it just by yourself like chilling out like you know in in, at home uh, alone (laughs) just trying to bend the spoon uh yes all of the above the the first wow the first time i did it was actually at at bob ginsburg's house for one of the forever family foundation things uh, a weekend when we were testing a bunch of mediums and so you know basically we invited all these mediums to come in throughout the day to do testing and so bob being a very generous host was like let's have a meeting let's have we'll have dinner so Mm -hmm. we had this big dinner party with all these mediums And uh, I think Lara actually was the one who kind of led the spoon bending thing. And uh, oh, cool. And so she kind of took us through the whole thing. And that was the first time I, I did it. And it was great because we had this room, you know, a bunch of mediums and, uh, and other people interested in this stuff. And, yeah. you know, we just destroyed all kinds of silverware and i'm not, and, I'm not surprised there would be a, definitely a conducive energy in that room like uh yeah <laughs> yeah and uh and then of course after that you know i went home and bought a stack of spoons right and uh you mm-hmm. know messed with them myself and um and lately i've been doing some uh workshops with laura lynn and at the workshops we do a little spoon bending thing and so usually i'll grab a spoon and kind of stand off to the side while she's leading that and uh you know <laughs> see if i can get it to go again yeah yeah and and how how like what would you say your percentage success rate is like uh are you like kind of a seven out of ten, 70 percent are you 50 percent 50 50 are you less than 50 i i'd say like i'd say 70 75 it's um it's actually yeah. really hard for me at, at the workshops that we're doing because I'm distracted because I'm, I'm also one of the presenters. And so I'm thinking about, yeah, I'm thinking about what's happening and what I need to talk about next. And you know, it's, it's like my full attention isn't there. Um, mm. But if I can, you know, if, if I'm doing it in a context where I'm just a participant, much higher percentage. Yeah. Cool. Have you ever been able to analyze the brain of somebody engaging in that? 
No, but that would be pretty easy to do. Um, yeah. Maybe a cool way to do it would be to get you to to like a spoon bending party where there's a bunch of people mm. and just go around and like you could you could have like twenty different test subjects all there and then in <laughs> in one go. <laughs> that would be that would be really interesting. That would be interesting. Um, yeah, unfortunately, the EEG process is you know it's a it takes a minute to hook somebody up. And, it's not that mobile. Yeah, I, I mean, it, <laughs> time consuming. It is mobile, um, but um, you know, but it's also you know, it takes about 10 minutes to get somebody hooked up and yeah, you can only hook up one person per computer at a time. So, you know, yeah. it'd be a thing. And you'd, you'd have to get lucky to catch you to get them while they're actually bending. Exactly. Like you could probably go to a party, measure 20 of them and they all bend while they're not being yeah, <laughs> measured. Um, yeah, that's fascinating there. I really hope I can one day bend the spoon. Um, you can do it. Some foil in a, like, uh, I'll, I'll accept the foil. Um, so I guess where it will take us next is I'm going to ask you kind of to how to become psychic. Um, and if you can kind of talk about that in as much detail as you can, I don't know if you can kind of offer a kind of semi, you know, beginner's guide or something like that for people that are like me, basically, that are really interested in this stuff, are open to this stuff, um, are aware of the evidence for this stuff. I hate saying believe in it. That's probably the best way I can say believe in it, aware of the evidence for it. And yet don't really seem to have experiences you know or don't seem to have any noticeable abilities um so yeah any any advice or, or guide you can offer for, for how to become psychic would be awesome yeah well you would hope i'd have something to say since that's the name of the book right it's uh, <laughs> uh um and it, yeah there's a few different things that that i think are important you know when people are wanting to uncover and again i'm, I'm kind of liking that idea of calling it uncovering or remembering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like than, that. I like remembering as well. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than becoming right. Because it's like, well, we already are. I think we already are mm. psychic. We just, yeah, we just, I like to think of them as latent abilities yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so maybe I need to rename the book too late. I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but we're still becoming right. We can still become that's psychic true. even if we are already. That's like, true. Have the, that's yeah, true. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think, I think there's a few things that I would suggest. And the first one is going to be really obvious, which is practice, 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 practice. You know, if it's not something that comes naturally that you're just automatically doing, mm -hmm. what I've seen is that pretty much everybody can start to figure it out, but you really have to work it. And that's difficult especially in this day and age, people don't like things that take a lot of work and effort. They want things to be nice and easy. And, yeah. you know, really what you're talking about is training your brain and, or untraining your brain, however you want to think about it. And yeah. it takes a lot of repetition. Uh, we know that the brain is very malleable. We know that the brain is plastic, that it, it will do what you ask it to do but you have to tell it what to do. And so if you're wanting to learn PK, getting out that piece of aluminum foil and putting in 10, 15 minutes every day. Yeah. I think of it like a skill. You know, if you want to get good at playing a musical instrument, you got to put your time in or playing a sport or learning a language or meditating. 
any of those things, if you want to get good at it, you got to put the time in. So I'd say that's number one. Number two is belief. And this is a tricky one because what I've seen is that with myself in particular, but I've seen it with other people as well, that if you don't really believe that you are can do these things, you won't be able to do them. Mm. So, so how do you convince yourself? <laughs> yeah. I, I literally, I asked Lloyd this thing. I said to him, I understand, like, I, I've seen the evidence. I, I, I kind of, I believe this stuff is possible. I, I, I believe it has its place in reality. And yet there's constantly, because I've never done it or seen it firsthand, I've constantly got this nagging doubt. Even if it's like 1% or less, I have this thing that's saying like, now nah, come on, like, you know, really, what are we doing here? You know, so how do you, what do you do about that? That constant, even if you're mostly bought in and you're aware that it's seemingly possible, how do we switch off or do we just, do we just try and push him away out of like, just... <laughs> yeah, I think there's a couple of possible, of possible ways to approach it and and maybe yeah. all at the same time but you know on a real basic level i think exposing yourself to as much weird stuff as possible is very helpful because it starts to open your mind to possibilities that maybe so it's kind of what you've been doing right uh which is like okay i'm going to interview all these people who are involved in all this weird stuff and all yeah. of a sudden it starts to go like, okay, maybe this is possible, right? Like, so it starts to change the way that your brain conceives of what reality is and what is potential. Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, that's not often enough, right? Like that's, that's a good start and it's helpful, but it's not always going to be enough. So the other thing is either seeing, having enough experiences. So for me, this has been important, seeing things that it's like a oh, holy crap. Okay, yeah. I can't argue with that. Um, every part of my scientific brain is is going like, this doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> but I just saw it, right? So but it's happening. Yeah. But it's happening. And so having some experiences or witnessing things, and then again, like through the practice element, I'm picking on the psychokinesis because that's what we talked about, but starting simple so that you have a success. Even if you, you know, you're going to question it like, oh, maybe there was a breeze in the room or maybe, but it's like the more you start doing it and the more you start having success, it starts to build on itself. Right. And it's like, okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I can do this. Um, and so starting small and building up. And then the last piece of that, that I would say for this little chunk is and this is something I'm I'm exploring at the moment as well, but using more psychological techniques. So either energy psychology or like EMDR type techniques to literally address or hypnosis to address the limiting beliefs. What are your limiting beliefs and how can you use some of these psychological techniques to see if you can't get your subconscious mind to shift gears? and be more open. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece that I would say, I mean, there's a lot, right? But so we got practice, yeah. practice, 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 work on your beliefs. And then the last thing, and of course, this is my bias, is uh, nudge your brain in the, in the direction desired. And we can do that through meditation. We can do it through use of technology. And, you know, that's something that we look at in the book, 
in a few places is using either low power pulsed electromagnetic uh, frequencies or audiovisual entrainment or similar technologies to sort mm -hmm. of nudge the brain in the desired direction. And so, again, like I said earlier, this isn't going to all of a sudden, well, it could, it could unlock things. Usually what it does is gives you a little nudge in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and so, so those are the things I think that I would emphasize at least for now. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and would it be kind of the same for the, all the various forms of Psy? Like, would you say remote viewing, same idea, just kind of practice, practice, practice. Would you have any specific advice maybe for remote viewing or would you say it kind of, yeah, falls under the same general stuff for now? Um, so remote viewing is an area that I haven't really examined much. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because there's so many little pockets of different things that people can get yeah. into in this, in this world. And, yeah. you know, and so I've picked the handful that, that I've been able to look <laughs> at so far and remote viewing has kind of been on the periphery. It's been like right here. Okay. Um, what I suspect is that it's going to be some of the same processes mm. that that we've been talking about. So, you know, there's another aspect that, you know, when I've looked at this work and I've looked at the umbrella of psi abilities, there does seem to be overlap in terms of something that I call attitudinal qualities. I borrowed that term from mindfulness, John Kabat-Zinn, who did the mindfulness-based stress reduction, came up with these attitudinal qualities for mindfulness. And I love that term, attitudinal qualities. So yeah. I was like, well, what are the attitudinal qualities that seem to help with psi abilities? And broadly speaking, and some of it are very obvious, but you know, focus, learning how to focus your attention in specific ways, uh, learning how to connect, right? So some of these are things we've talked about. So connect mm -hmm. either to, you know, spirits outside of yourself, learning how to connect to the piece of aluminum foil, uh, you know, whatever the thing might be, learning how to relax. Yeah. Uh, so that efforting issue, you know, right? Not pushing too far. Uh, listening, learning how to listen. <laughs> so being receptive, uh, trusting, right? trusting the process, trusting yourself and being curious, right? So those to me seem to overlap almost all of these different abilities. It doesn't really matter what the ability is. You kind of need an element of all of those and to learn yeah. how to sort of, you know, make that an active part of how you pay attention awesome yeah yeah well i'm going to try some of those and hopefully it's going to help me to, to start having some some more psychic experiences which practices and altered states would you say are well, such as psychedelics and meditation would you say are the most conducive to having anomalous psychic experiences wow that's a tough one um and, and the reason that it's tough is because I think it depends. Um, yeah. You know, uh, everybody's different. It's, it's so interesting. Yeah. So Janet Mayer that we brought up at the very beginning, <clears throat> you know, she really unlocked this ability of hers 
after a holotropic breathwork session. Mm. That's what that's what did it. It it popped something open wow. for her. Um, yeah. Now I've done holotropic breathwork a bunch of times, and you know I've had some pretty interesting experiences, but I'm not channeling shamans, right? So you know why did it work? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so it, it worked for her but it, it didn't work for me. Why? Well, we're, yeah. we're different people. We have different brains, different things might work for me. So, mm. you know, I know people who have meditation experiences that are profound. They tell me yeah. what happened. I'm like, wow, I've been meditating a long time and I've never had anything like that happen. And it's like, like what's going on here? Like, you know, for some people, certain things are going to do the trick. For me, it really is more of work with psychedelics. And uh, and perhaps it's because it is such a intense and powerful excursion. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> away from kind of the logical brain that, you know, for me, it puts me in a different place that that makes consciousness, you know, way more accessible than mm -hmm. simply meditating or, or something else. But again, everybody's different. So I think my advice for most people is to experiment. Yeah. Try, try a bunch of things and see what resonates and what really works for you. Cause I don't think there's yeah. any other way to know for sure. You just have to try a bunch of things. And I would say to add on, I guess I'd say like try them multiple times on different days, because as well as it being individual, each to the person, like we have different kind of psychological and physiological states each day, depending on our mood and, and so many, you know, a multitude of factors. So I guess, you know, me meditating on, on one particular day or, or having a psychedelic experience on one day would, could be totally different to how I would react to the same exact thing on, on a different day. So yeah, it's hard, hard yeah. to pin, pin these things down. Yeah. Um, Great point. Yes. Yeah. I have a lengthy question here from a viewer. They actually left this as a, as a comment when I spoke with Suzanne Temple. Do you know Suzanne Temple? Mm -mm. If not, it might be somebody else I might need to kind of connect you with or at least kind of point you in the direction. She she does similar stuff to you. She's she's done like EEGs with the brains and mediums and things like that. Um, so I think Laura Lynn might be uh, a mutual connection there. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about her after. But yeah, so this question I thought, I don't know when I'm talking to Suzanne next, so I thought it'd be good to put it to you. Um, so this person is wondering if techniques for gamma, and it's it's lengthy. So again, you tell me if you need me to repeat any after the end. This person is wondering if techniques for gamma wave entrainment besides meditation are beneficial for development of psi abilities. Exposure to sound and or light pulsed at 40 hertz causes gamma wave entrainment, and there's some evidence that this can result in the clearance of amyloid plaque. There is a clinical trial ongoing for a device by Cognito Therapeutics for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. Perhaps this device or similar could be repurposed for psi. What do you think? Great question. And uh, absolutely. So, mm. you know, one of the, from a brainwave perspective, we, we didn't talk a whole lot about brainwaves today, partly because it's just complicated, right? And and it's, it's hard to convey um, in a format like this, right? I need some PowerPoint slides or something, right? But we could do it in future. You can have your whole setup ready <laughs> and like, we'll do it, we'll, we'll go deep. <laughs> um, 
the two brain waves that tend to be the most involved with psi abilities are mm -hmm. gamma and theta. <clears throat> and so, you know, does stimulating theta or gamma in the brain, can it be helpful? And mm -hmm. uh, the short answer is yes. And we've been experimenting with that. So I was talking about the audio, visual, and trainment glasses that flicker on and off. Well, yeah. you can put those on 40 hertz, right? So there's a gamma setting on there. So they'll, they'll be pulsing on, on the 40 hertz then, yeah. Yeah. And your brain will follow along generally, and it will start to produce the same frequency as the lights. And, and there's other ways to do it besides light and sound, but that's what the question was about, was light and sound in particular. And mm -hmm. yes, there is some evidence that it's good for different cognitive functioning kinds of, uh, of things like that. Um, and that's often what it's used for from a clinical perspective. Mm -hmm. But because we see gamma increases in various types of psi abilities, and very often we see that gamma in the back of the head in the occipital lobe, visual processing. So think about yeah. this visual processing, we're using lights, stimulation. Well, where's that going to get picked up at first? Well, the occipital lobes, it's visual information, it's light. So it's going to be stimulating the occipital lobe. And so we have been experimenting with this, with different frequencies, different approaches. And yes, it does seem to jumpstart things for people kind of in a similar way like the Gansfeld does for some people. So actually we've we've started teaching these online classes. Uh, there's like a four week online course where everybody gets a set of these glasses. Cool. And so each week we do a different protocol. So we talk about the brain, we talk about frequencies, we talk about stuff. We try an approach, people experiment with it, work with it for that week. And then the next week we try something else. And what's interesting is, again, I shouldn't be surprised by this anymore, but uh, everybody's a little bit different. So when we do the theta frequency, some people, they have all these great experiences and, and it's really intense for them and they connect in and whatever. Other people, they do the theta and they go, eh, it's okay. And then we do gamma. And some people have these amazing experiences and things open up and other people, eh, it's okay. Uh, yeah. So again, for me, what it suggests is that, so the short answer is yes. The longer answer is that it depends. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of goes back to the same thing we talked about earlier is really it takes some exploration. So I think having a device like the audio visual entrainment glasses, uh, it allows you the opportunity to try a variety of programs. So trying gamma, trying theta, trying something where you're activating the right hemisphere and shutting down the left hemisphere at the same time. Something where you're doing, it's called a roller coaster. So it's changing frequencies and kind of going all over the place. Um, there's lots of different approaches that we can do with the glasses. And so, then you know people can experiment and figure out what works best for them. Mm, awesome. 
This question is from Robert in in Singapore. Uh, he's one of my patrons. He says, "Do you have any specific recommended uh, apps or guided meditations for achieving interesting altered states?" Interesting altered states. I guess interesting is subjective here. <laughs> well, I, I, altered states is the part that I'm uh, stuck on, actually, um, because. No, I was just going to say, I, I think he's just getting it kind of like maybe just kind of meditation in general, just kind of meditative states and things like that. Yeah. And I, But yeah, I mean, I keep going with your train of thought. Yeah, yeah. So it's another tricky one because right, I mean, right now there are so many apps out there that have yeah, yeah. all kinds of guided meditations on them. Many of them are very good, but some of them are actually overwhelming. There's There's one app I used to recommend to people called insight timer and mm -hmm. there's thousands of guided meditations on there and it's still worth looking at because there's so many that it would be an easy way to kind of do some searches and see if you couldn't get down to some specific meditations that would be helpful or interesting um the tricky part is there's thousands of meditations you got to sort of sort your way through um, yeah. Now, you know, self-promotion, uh, sort of. So on our, Go for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, please on our, uh, on my psychic mind science website, we've put, I forgot how many med guided meditations we've got on there right now, five or six. Um, so there's not a lot and partly that's purposeful because of the issue we just brought up. It's, there's almost too many. And so yeah. we, I tried to provide, and they're free. It's not like there's a charge or anything like that. But there's a handful of them on there that do slightly different things that can help access parts of the brain related to Psy. So mm -hmm. those are free. They're available. He could check those out. Um, and then, you know, the Neuro Meditation Institute, you know, that's kind of what we do, right? And so... Yeah, you have like a questionnaire, right? Where where people can like answer some multiple choice questions and you can kind of advise them which kind of meditation is, is right for them. Is it something like that? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we've got a bunch of guided meditations and things like that, the, our YouTube channel, whatever. Um, but that's not going to be specific to Psy or anything like that. It's going to be more geared toward mm -hmm. mental health um, mm -hmm. and helping people identify what their goals are with meditation and finding the right style. Um, yeah. So I would say those, those couple things, maybe check out what we've got on psychic mind science and then go to insight timer. Why not? And search around and, you know, type in some key words that are important for you and see what comes up. Uh, Cause you may find some gems in there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, that's, re that's really good. I'll put those links in the description. And in terms of like um, guided meditations, I guess there's none that really jump out to you, like screaming, like, oh, I need to, to mention that one. Or because again, I guess, because it's so unique and because there's so many, because it's individual. I mean, so individual and there's so many. Yeah. I mean, the one that people really seem to like a lot, I might've changed the name of it. Let me look real quick. It used to be called <laughs> Net of Indra, which I don't know if you're familiar with that concept. Uh, um it's sort of a Hindu concept. It has to do with consciousness, okay. but I believe I changed the name of it. I'm going to look real quick. Okay. Cool. Um, because there's one that 
people seem to really like. Yeah, it's still called Netavindra. Netavindra, okay. Yeah. I'll try and link that one below. So do you want to say a few words about it just quickly? Sure. It's one of these that is designed to facilitate that connectivity, right? Of being able to sort of step outside of your own ego boundary and connect to mm -hmm. energy outside of yourself. And so it uses sort of the imagery of the net of Indra, which is this sort of concept that there's this invisible net and all of the nodes, all of the connections in the nodes are different consciousnesses that exist throughout the universe. So the net expands forever and everything is connected, right? All of the consciousnesses are connected in this unified net. And so it kind of walks you through this idea of extending out into that and connecting with specific kinds of energies, whether they're your ancestors, your guides, your loved ones here on earth, whatever. But so it's kind of this really expansive practice of learning how to get out of your own ego boundary and, yeah. and connect outside. So people really awesome. like that, that one. Yeah. And you said that one's on psychic mind science. Again, I'll, I'll put the link in the description, but I just wanted yeah. to, to make sure. Awesome. Um, I have another question from Robert here. This one, I think, because we're going to try and wrap up fairly quickly, and I have still a couple of other questions I want to ask you. Maybe you could just give a super quick, in a nutshell, answer to this one. Um, kind of give the answer without your workings out, I guess. Uh, and maybe if you have a lot to say about it, we can do your workings out next time we talk. But he just wanted to know, do you think AI could ever be conscious? <laughs> I I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is a great question. And I think it's above my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you say the wrong thing, you're going to have some AI uh, emailing you. <laughs> How dare you? Um, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, we're, it's, it's a crazy, uh, crazy time, right? With AI, like it's, it's wild to think where we are now and where we're going to be in like 10 years. Like the world is changing as we speak. Um, hopefully we're going to be able to minimize the negative impact from it and, and maximize the positive, but we'll see well, yeah, and, in terms of conscious. And it depends on how uh, you define conscious. Uh, of course. Yeah. Right. So it yeah. gets, it gets yeah. messy quick. Um, but it's, it's a <laughs> yeah. very interesting question though. Yeah. Yeah. Again, maybe, maybe next time we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, so I, one of the, one of my last questions is what were the most important and again, I'm looking at the title of your book, of course, here. What were some of the most important lessons from the minds of mediums, healers, and psychics that you learned during your research for the book, if there were a couple that stick out? I mean, I think actually we've talked about some of them. So some of those attitudinal qualities. We probably have. Yeah, you know, that yeah. we talked about where uh, seeing this overlap in certain in certain ways of approaching these activities that seem to be very consistent. Uh, you know, they might use slightly different language, but they're saying a lot of the same things. So that, and again, some of these brain areas, we didn't get into all of them, obviously, because there's, you know, we have a limited amount of time. But again, there seems to be some commonalities, even though there's differences, there's also commonalities that gives me hope that there are ways to use technology and to use to train ourselves mm -hmm. to expand this, that we can 
we can turn this into a little bit of a science, I think. And so for me, that's very exciting. And I think that's maybe yeah. the main lesson that I learned. I wasn't really sure where this was all going when I started the book. Um, I don't know if you've ever written a book, but it's a very weird process. And not yet. You know, wherever you think you you are when you start and where you end up are not necessarily the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't always go to plan, I guess. But yeah, that, that's really cool. And and you're right. It does seem like there's a lot of untapped potential here in terms of the science. And, and I can't wait to see how that develops. Um, another kind of big question. Feel free to answer it in, in a nutshell if you want. Um, what can all of your research and your experiences and, and everything tell us about the nature of our reality and about what happens after we die. <laughs> That's a, Good luck putting that in a nutshell. In a nutshell, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could do it. I could do it in two words, right? Nature, it tells us the nature of reality is very mysterious and what happens after we die is something. I think those, <laughs> those are some of my favorite ways to answer the questions. But now it's your, now it's your attempt now. See, see what you can do. Okay, it. thanks. I don't know if I can do it in two words, but <clears throat> um, I think what I would say is my current belief understanding is that mm -hmm. oof, um, everything exists and continues to exist uh, on a certain level and death is definitely not the end what happens beyond that, I think, is who knows, right? I mean, there's there's lots of interesting ideas. Personally, what I think is that all of the different ideas that we can come up with are all true, which mm -hmm. it's like, well, how can everything be true? And it's like, well, because the universe and consciousness are extremely large. Like, we're trying to understand this all with our tiny little puny human minds and we're talking about things that exist on way more subtle, deeper levels. And, mm -hmm. and even from a, a physics perspective, we know that everything's entangled. We know that time doesn't exist. So when you start to erase these things, to me, it makes it very plausible that anything that we could dream up is true somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's just, what do you want to pay attention to? What do you want to tune into? It's all true. It's all possible. You don't even have to get into multiverses, but you could. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, to me, that's actually really encouraging in, in a way. It, it, some people might think of it as sort of negative, but for me, I think it's really great because what it means is mm -hmm. there's infinite possibilities. So mm -hmm. why wouldn't that be exciting? You know? Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. And of course, we've got the element of like our, our own experience. We all experience things differently, right? So if me and you go and do the exact same thing, we're going to talk about it in a little bit different way, depending on our mood and everything, as we said earlier, like I'm going to go back, but oh, wow, it was amazing. It was, and, and you might be having a hard day. So oh, I was tiring and stuff like that. And, and so, yeah, there's so many different potential realities out there. 
Um, and also what you were saying made me think of something that Greg, do you know Gregory Shushan? Dr. Gregory Shushan? He's a religious historian and he's done a lot of work into looking at like the afterlife and um, near-death experiences and things like that throughout history across, across throughout cultures and, and yeah, for like the last couple of thousand years basically he's been going and digging and it's, it's some awesome stuff. But he, when I asked him what he thinks, you know, like if I asked him to speculate on, you know, how the afterlife could, could be, and he kind of put it as like maybe like a lucid dream, you know, so like a kind of a collective, but it's like a collective thing in the sense that we're all in this kind of dream state, but then everybody could have their own, you know, individual aspect of this dream, which would then everything is possible, right? Um, so, yeah, there's so many different ways to think about this stuff and there's so much fascinating evidence that could be interpreted in various ways. But anyways, good answer. Um, have you got any apart from your own book so you've got the, your first book is called um uh the title is escaping me now i know it's about it's about rewiring the brain is yeah. it rewiring Me the brain and then meditative practices for adhd ptsd depression anxiety correct me uh, close. you're close uh meditation interventions to rewire the brain yeah awesome and and we're going to talk about that more next time um we're going to go deeper in meditation and of course your your recent book becoming psychic but apart from those those your books have you are there any others in these areas that you would particularly like to kind of recommend or or you know draw people's attention to um yeah i, I mean you know you you actually mentioned a few of them already i mean i think anything by dean Radin is gold mm. um yeah you know love his stuff genius I like Lynn McTaggart's work a lot. Uh, it's more energy healing kind of stuff, um, okay. but a little bit more from that sciencey angle. Um, you know, Diane Hennessy Powell's book, uh, "The ESP Enigma," is quite good. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm I'm bringing up things that have a little more of a sciencey angle yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, those are some biggies. I think that I really, you know, go to yeah. uh, Leslie Keen's book uh you know it was really good you you mentioned that earlier yeah surviving death, um, yeah and then of course you know um you know i like laura lynn's books as well it's not quite as sciencey but uh i think no. from you know from getting that other perspective i really like so mm, yeah her book signs and um the light between us the, the yeah yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, I, those Laura Lynn's again, that I came to those later. I started with the sciencey ones. And then more recently, I read science. I've got the light between us on the shelf. I haven't read it yet. And yeah, if I'd started with those again, I would have it would have been too much for me. <laughs> but I came to it in the right order. So it was all OK. Yeah. All was well. Um, but yeah, some good recommendations there. Almost the last question, pretty much the last question, maybe the penultimate kind of thing. Uh, just your thoughts in brief abstract whatever you want quick whatever you want on ufos the ufo phenomenon i don't know if you're up to date at all i don't know if you're aware of anything happening at all i don't know if you've heard david grush's testimony and all this kind of thing recently but just yeah what's your what's your two cents on this phenomenon wow um yeah so i mean i i i'm interested in the whole ufo uap uh stuff aliens all of that mm -hmm. in fact that's that was my original love and all of the weird world kinds of things you know as, as a kid yeah um and i've always been fascinated by by that work i haven't been totally keeping up with everything that's been going on although it feels like a lot there's a lot happening yeah. and um you know 
I don't know what to think at, at the moment. Uh, you know, I feel like there's clearly something going on. That seems obvious, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're just, you know, kind of putting your head in the sand. Um, what it is or how it works, I have no idea. But, you know, one of the yeah. things that has lately been catching my attention, and it actually came up um, from watching like Hellier, if you've seen uh, uh, the the docu-series Hellier. Um, so, I haven't actually. Okay, you, you'd enjoy that. But, um, you know, it seems like there's certain areas, Skinwalker Ranch, this place where mm-hmm. Hellier takes place, some other, there's a place in Mexico where all kinds of weird stuff happens in the same area. UFOs, UAPs, psychic stuff, weird energy things stories about cults doing weird stuff in the woods, you know, mm-hmm. poltergeists, like all Bigfoot, like all these things happening in the same spot. And so yeah. it's hard for me to believe that somehow that's not all connected. And it suggests that to me that there's something bigger. Uh, and I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. I don't know how it works, but it's intriguing and my bucket list, I'm starting to get old, so I need to start checking things off my bucket list. But one of them is to see a, a, a for real UFO. Um, mm. That That's, you yeah. know, I don't know how I can make that it's happen. Time. If you figure out how to make that happen, let me know. But I mean, there's some there's some thought, there's some people that think they, uh, you know, there's there's some ideas out there on that. I don't, I don't know if I would say that I know how, but yeah, I get, some people believe that through meditation and stuff, you can kind of, you know have a light that would do something like seem to interact with you and things like that so i mean you're into meditation whether you want to try that i don't know because i don't know the agenda or what you're interacting with out there not sure if uh yeah i don't know if i would feel like doing it um but i would so love to see one as well that would be so awesome like something unmistakable you know not like oh that was weird i'll forever wonder like something that's like that was really weird (laughs) that was not us (laughs) that's what i'd like to see Yes. Yeah. That's, um, you know, that's always been something that I've wanted when I was younger. I, I used to, to want them to come and pick me up and take, take me with them. Take. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if I want that now, but I'd settle for, uh, seeing, seeing one up close and personal, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I keep looking up and hopefully, hopefully one day, but I'm, I'm glad that you're interested in the phenomenon and you're, I know there's, there's way too much going on to keep up with it. There's what, cause there's so much, like we said, in, in, in psi phenomena areas, there's, there's already an absolute plethora of different topics and stuff to delve into there. Survival's the same. And then, and then obviously we got real life that's going on at the same time, you know, like bills and families and friends and yeah. So I, I can't blame people that don't really have the time to look into it, but yeah, I just, uh, I like to gauge, you know, just kind of uh, what thoughts are. So yeah, I'm glad to see you're interested. And, and yeah, the stuff where it all happens in these hotspots is really, yeah, it's bizarre. It is intriguing. It, 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 it's, it's strange. It's obviously high strangeness, I guess is what they call it. Um, so yeah, yeah. Really interesting stuff. Um, Jeff, have you got any kind of last words or a message you want to leave with people that have watched and listened today? It can, it can be anything at all. I mean, I, I guess if I had to, uh, you know, leave with one thing, it would just be a, a reminder that, and, and this isn't just coming from me. This is like everybody I've interviewed has said, hmm. uh, every single person has said, yeah, we're not special. Uh, everybody has these abilities. And mm-hmm. 
you know, it's easy for them to say, right? They're the pros. They're really good at this. But but they also are tapped into some information and ways of understanding that maybe the rest of us don't access all the time. And 100% of them have, have said this to me, that everybody has this ability. And so I think that's really heartening and just something that, you know, I think that's a good place to leave people with is, is like, if this is something that you want to explore yourself, you have the potential. Mm, yeah. Just got to uncover it. Like you said earlier, we've got to uncover it or re-refine it, awaken it maybe. Ooh, I like that. Um, awaken it. Yeah. Yeah. Awaken the beast. Yeah. No, it, it's a strong message and, and we do need to remember that and, and hopefully I'm going to start to experience some things and, and hopefully peop other people are too. Uh, look, you've been really generous with your time, Jeff. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been a lot of fun and, and fascinating and I can't wait to read your book. Wish you all my best and I look forward to doing it again early next year. Thank you so much. I appreciated you having me on. It was a lot of fun and uh, yeah, next time will be great. Thank you to Jeff Tarrant for talking with me. Thank you to our patrons for supporting us and thank you for listening. Please see the description for relevant links and more information. If you want to continue unraveling the universe with us, please click subscribe or follow. If you want to help us keep making content, you can make a monthly contribution via Patreon. Thank you.